Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club Podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the club. We have got a big old brainy topic that we're going to talk about today. So I'm diffusing in my essential oil diffuser a little bit of lemon and basil and peppermint because that is good for cognitive function and I'm going to need it today. We're going to bring it. Um, I wish I had some rosemary oil. I'm going to have to order that because rosemary is actually really great for cognitive function. But one thing that I did do and what I often do on my walks is pinch a little bit of rosemary off a neighbor's rosemary bush and I'll chew it. And that is good for stimulating some good brain flow. So there's a good tip for you. And yes, I just outed myself as a rosemary thief, but I figure I'm doing that neighbor a little bit of service because we all know how wild and wooly a rosemary bush can grow unless you're me who kills every plant then that doesn't happen um anyway so you probably heard a little laugh from the other end <laughs> hi i got a friend on today because i need some help unraveling this big old topic of cholesterol i feel like cholesterol is such a big boogeyman in the health world and it's so under misunderstood and i get a lot of questions around it so I have been invited on a special guest. If you are a member of the Christian Health Club, this lady is no stranger to you. This is Carly Stagg. She is my operations manager, but she is also, and more importantly, a nutritional therapist, just like I am. She is almost just right there um, finishing up um, her schooling to be a registered nurse, and she is a future nurse practitioner. So she is the perfect person to help me unravel all of this cholesterol business for you. Um, just a reminder, Carly and I are not doctors, but we're nutritionists and this is our jam, right? Because there are a lot of foods, real foods, that people are scared to eat like eggs and red meat because they're told it's bad for their cholesterol. And so my what I want to do first and foremost is look at those um, look at those foods as real food the way God made it. We have to like use our godly compass here and just, you know, keep that in mind as we're going through this. Um, but we're going to dig into this topic a little further. Um, welcome, Carly. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea. I'm super excited to be on the podcast with you today. I'm super happy to have you here, my wingman in all things <laughs> in the Christian Health Club. And so I'm so glad to have you here. Um, okay, so let's start. I think that a lot of people are under the impression that it would be ideal to get cholesterol like as absolutely low as possible. And what I want to tell you people is that would be a big mistake, big, huge, like Julia Roberts says in Pretty Woman, big, huge mistake. We don't want to do that. And so Carly, let's start with why we need cholesterol and why it's good for us. 
You're totally right. So there's this misconception that cholesterol is this evil thing, but it's actually the complete opposite of evil. It is vital because it composes the cell membranes of every single cell in our entire body. So if you use your common sense hat, why would something that makes up all of our cells be bad for you? So <laughs> it has a lot of important functions. So hormones, uh, it's actually a building block. We need to make them. And that's one reason why people who go vegan or eat really low fat for long periods of time if they're dieting could lose their period, lose their libido, and their hair falls out, and everything's just a hot mess. That's, so that's all, one of the reasons. Those are all sucky things that happen. Yes, <laughs> we want none of those things to happen to us. <laughs> so going on with the hormones topic, the cholesterol levels that are actually too low in pregnant women um, it's associated with birth defects and preterm delivery. Again, two not so good things. Um, it's really important for our brain health. Cholesterol is a huge component of our brain. Um, low cholesterol levels are associated with stroke, actually, depression and suicide attempts, violent and impulsive behavior, and a ton of other negative mood effects. And then longevity and management of inflammation. High levels of cholesterol can actually correlate with longevity because cholesterol is what mitigates inflammation. And if you have low cholesterol levels, you're not combating the inflammation that happens as you get older. And that's one of the reasons why this assumption that high cholesterol is automatically bad is super misguided. Because eating plenty of naturally occurring cholesterol will give the body those building blocks it needs to fight off inflammation easily. Okie dokie. Um, you mentioned um, why cholesterol is important in pregnancy, but I would like to add that breast milk, the most natural, real food God made on the planet, is extremely high in cholesterol and it's critical to baby's um, developing brain. So again, using our godly compass, using our common sense, which quite often is what I feel like my godly compass is. It's just straight up common sense, right? Okay, so um, when we get a cholesterol test, the general reading that we're looking at is HDL, LDL, um, and triglycerides. So let's start with HDL and LDL because you friends have probably heard that HDL is the quote unquote good cholesterol and LDL is the quote unquote bad cholesterol, but this is misleading. And so um, break this down a little bit for us, Carly, and tell us the difference between the two. So HDL cholesterol is considered, like you said, quote unquote, good cholesterol, because that's a measure of how the body is getting rid of excess cholesterol in the bloodstream, because that's the basically the carrying container that's used to take excess cholesterol to the liver to be processed and removed. So we do want this number to be high. That's a good thing. And so if your total cholesterol is high because your HDL is high, that's not as much of a concern. And then the number of the LDL cholesterol is a measure of how basically cholesterol is being used in the body to combat inflammation. So it's considered bad cholesterol, but it really just gets a bad rap. It is defending the body against inflammation. So any physical or psychological stress, like work, family stress, even an infection, high blood sugar, all of those things are being mitigated by cholesterol. Okay, so, okay, this is how one way I explain it. Like the LDL particles carry cholesterol to fight the inflammation in the same way that a fireman carries and sprays water to put out a fire, right? So hating, <laughs> hating on the LDLs is kind of like hating on the fireman 
who comes to put out your fire. I mean, it's not the fireman's fault, right? That they're coming to put out this fire. Um, it's the actual fire that's the problem. So this is the same with our bodies. It's this inflammation, the source of information, um, I'm sorry, inflammation, that is the problem. So let's expand a little bit more on what causes the inflammation in the body and what is the source of our fire that's causing cholesterol to show up? Totally agree. So the LDL particles that carry cholesterol, you shouldn't be hating on them because they're just kind of innocent bystanders. They're help, trying to help you out and you're hating on them. So if we look at the numbers, actually, 50% of heart attacks that lead to sudden death happen in patients with normal cholesterol. So that should make you go, hmm. That's maybe, huge. Maybe <laughs> cholesterol isn't really the problem here. Maybe it's just kind of sitting there watching. So why does plaque form in the arteries? Like Chelsea said earlier, because of inflammation. Your body makes too much cholesterol because it's inflamed and then it just gets randomly deposited everywhere. And then high blood sugar is what actually makes the plaque unstable. So high blood sugar will oxidize that plaque. And so it can begin to look like something that's not of your body. So your body's like, hmm, what's this weird little thing in my artery? I don't like this. And so it can start to attack it. And it's almost autoimmune in nature. So cardiovascular disease has almost an autoimmune type of component where your body's attacking itself because something looks like it's not from you. So that attack specifically, the autoimmune attack, can lead to that plaque rupturing and then causing a cardiovascular event like a heart attack or a stroke. Okay, good, good info. Okay, but it's not the cholesterol that we eat that nope. causes higher cholesterol, <laughs> right? So there's some causes of that inner fire, which is triggering um, that excess de deposition of cholesterol, which should just be used to combat inflammation. So that includes processed sugar, uh, foods like, you know, junk food, MSG type, type that type of stuff, uh, chronic infections, um, inflammation, ongoing exposure to environmental toxins. So somebody who has like mold illness or Lyme disease, uh, pesticides, um, especially glyphosate which is in those GMO foods that we all try to avoid. Yes. Right, audience? We're all trying to avoid those, right? <laughs> GMO, no. Okay. So, okay. So if, you know, so if you're eating eggs, that is not, you know, if we're eating some eggs, if we're eating some red meat, um, this is not going to create a situation where, you know, in a dangerous situation that's just flooding our body with too much cholesterol, correct? Totally. So that is absolutely not true that, you know, you eat an egg and then it, your body breaks down. It's like, oh, this is cholesterol. Let me just pop this into your artery. Like that is definitely <laughs> not what happens. <laughs> so about 80% of the cholesterol in your body, like in your bloodstream is manufactured by the body itself. So it could be most of it's manufactured in like the liver, but also intestines, adrenal glands and reproductive organs. And like I said earlier, the body will ramp up its production of cholesterol in response to inflammation, like some of those factors I stated before. So cholesterol production is actually specifically stimulated by high levels of leptin and insulin, which are two of the hormones we're trying to target when we try to eat less carbohydrate and we fast. So reducing those simple carbs and sugar will reduce insulin, and then we incorporate intermittent fasting to kind of reset and regulate our leptin. Those are two of the most important things you can do to reduce cholesterol, not eat less cholesterol. 
Gosh, that sounds really like exactly what we do in Feast of Fast. <laughs> Whoa, mind blown. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, so just for, in case you haven't done Feast of Fast, and maybe some of these um, nerdy hormone terms are unfamiliar to you, just real quick, insulin, um, these hormones that Carly mentioned, insulin is the hormone that the body releases to store our food energy, and especially carbohydrates. So the more carbs you eat, the more insulin shows up and the more that insulin shows up, the more that cholesterol shows up. Okay. So remember that insulin is our storage hormone, our fat storage hormone. Um, and then also we have leptin. Leptin is the hormone that regulates appetite and fat storage. And I like to call it the put down your fork sister hormone. It's like the one that tells <laughs> us to stop eating, like you're full, you're they'll stop eating. But unfortunately that hormone can become really dysregulated in the body. And this would lead to an increase in cholesterol as well. Okay. Um, well, what about genetics? You kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier. Um, but I know a lot of people, and I mean, like every person I ever worked with who has come to me because of high cholesterol tells me that they have the family gene for it. Okay. Even my husband who had quote unquote high cholesterol in his thirties and was put on a statin y'all in his 30s um, was totally obviously had the family gene for it. Um, even if he ate cardboard, he would have high cholesterol. And so he had to take a statin. That is what he was told. But I know good and well, he was not tested for that. So can you speak a bit to this? Isn't there a test to detect true genetically inherited cholesterol issues? Um, and by the way, just so you know, my husband is no longer on a statin, just FYI. We nip that in the bud. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Had to right. get that out there. Here comes the rant. So <laughs> <laughs> right, if I are, I just I know, open right? that open that um, soapbox to stand on. So you go for it. <laughs> so this experience with her husband is extremely common, way more common than you would think. I feel like everyone I talked to was like, "Oh, well, I was told that I have you know high um, you know high cholesterol because it's in my family, and it's it's literally everyone." I think. <laughs> yeah, totally. Is, is the way that it's, you know, it's portrayed that oftentimes healthcare providers are point to the cause of it as genetics without actually testing for it because they feel like that's something that's kind of easy to write off. They don't necessarily think that people will change their diet or their lifestyle, which I think is fair sometimes. Nice yes, people won't, but you true. have to give people the option. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, in my opinion, because it improves compliance with statins. And it removes the need for that provider to figure out a way to make this person change their diet or lifestyle or educate them about it, which is just kind of sad. Um, yeah. Providers just don't have time to go through this with patients. So they just pretty much give up on it altogether. And then the dietary guidelines that they would give if they are proactive in that way would do little to actually help with the cholesterol levels because they're all, you know, eat low-fat pretzels and, you know, hummus and Lord don't eat, you know, red meat or anything like that. So it's, you know, it's not the right approach. And so I think a lot of them are kind of just like, well, we'll just use the old genetics excuse. That'll work. <laughs> so the actual prevalence of familial hypercholesterolemia, FH, in the population is between 1 in 200 and 1 in 500 people. So not nearly as common as people think or would normally attribute to genetics. So right. here's severe LDL elevations and the absence of secondary causes. So if there's something that's identified, something like, I'm trying to think, something like a systemic infection that would definitely raise cholesterol levels, 
a lot of providers would be versed in that. They would say, oh, this person has a chronic infection. We know that their their cholesterol is high for that reason. But if the, you know, the LDL cholesterol stays high for a really long time and there's no identified secondary cause, that is a an indicator of FH. Um, this is also with triglyceride levels that are within the reference range or just a bit elevated. And then L- HDL cholesterols that are within the reference range or slightly low. So basically, it's just super, super high LDL with pretty normal triglycerides and pretty normal HDL. That's the true definition of FH. And then a probable diagnosis of that heterozygous FH, which is a less severe form, um, could be made if the LDLC is greater than 330. Or if they have xanthomas, which are like fatty deposits, which could be sometimes like, like under and on the eyes. There's like these little fatty beads. Oh, yeah. um, that's an indicator that they have a really high LDL level because the LDL just doesn't know where to go. And so it's being deposited pretty much wherever it can be. But a definitive diagnosis could be made only with a genetic analysis. And so unless this, this, these doctors are getting a, a full gene workup on you, they can't really say that you have FH. Okay. So don't be coming to me telling me you got FH if you hadn't had this test, right? <laughs> it's super rare. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just keep in mind, it's super, super rare. And unless yeah. you're LDLs over 330, it should really not even be, you know, a consideration. Right. So, but that's good information because if somebody wants, you know, if somebody's doctor does say that, oh, you must have the genetic, uh, you know, condition for that or then ask to be tested. Yep. And speaking of that, um, what about people who do genetic testing and find out that they are carriers of the APOE4 gene, which predisposes them to high cholesterol and Alzheimer's disease? So this is actually much more common. So this is, this APOE4 gene is basically a gene that's the most important risk factor for Alzheimer's disease in terms of like genetic makeup. So here's the deal on the stats. So before I start talking about this, just keep in mind that these statistics are based on a standard American diet and lifestyle and they're observational. So just kind of take that with a grain of salt. But here are here's the deal. And this really does increase risk for Alzheimer's um, and high cholesterol if you aren't paying attention and you aren't making modifications. So if you have zero copies of this APOE4 gene, you have a 9% chance of Alzheimer's you know, prevalence. A single copy of the gene, 30% chance, and two copies, so homozygous, 15 to 90% chance. But, and that's a huge but, you have the power to change that. So it's not like you get your genes tested, you see that that's the result, and you think, oh gosh, well, you know, I'm screwed, I have no chance. That's not true. These are all observational. So if you take the, you, you look at your cholesterol now, you kind of make the necessary changes to mitigate inflammation, you can totally reduce your chances. Yes, your genes are not your prison sentence, people. <laughs> um, you have so much power on the expression of these genes with your diet. So absolutely. Um, but that's good information to know, um, those, that genetic testing. I mean, it's just good to have that information. The more mm-hmm. information we have, the better. So um, one thing I wanted to add is that Dr. Dale Bredesen, who's this leading Alzheimer's researcher, argues that Alzheimer's is largely a metabolic problem. So if you mm-hmm. identify that you have that risk factor and then you can mitigate inflammation, kind of reduce your toxic exposures and help your body detoxify and, you know, do fasting, reduce your carbohydrate intake, all that type of stuff, 
Um, it's completely manageable. And so I'm, we're going to link to a podcast in the show notes um, on Revolution Health Radio with Chris Cresser, who's an acupuncturist in California, with Dr. Bredesen about Alzheimer's and the things you can do to reduce your risk if you have this gene. Okay. Good deal. All right. Um, what about triglycerides? Tell us how those fit into the picture. So in the vast majority of people, I think triglycerides are the first thing to focus on when you're looking mm -hmm. at cholesterol panel um, because it's actually pretty easy to get them to come down if you don't have one of those genetic things we just talked about. So the main two causes, in my opinion, are sugar and inflammation, and that's kind of a cycle. So if you're eating a lot of sugar and you already have inflammation, it's just basically feeding into that loop. And then the same thing with inflammation as well. So cut out processed carbs and sugar. Reduce your stress, which I know is easier said than done. I mean, I know I'm a complete stress case, so <laughs> who, I'm not one to talk. Um, also, omega-3 fatty acids can be really, really good for getting the triglycerides to come down. Um, so those are the basics for getting our triglycerides under control. And if you're not sure where to start, that's usually a pretty good place. Yeah, it really is. You can see a quick turnaround in that with a change of um, diet. Absolutely. For sure. Okay, so let's circle back to LDLs because even if you have a high, L, high LDL number, it may not mean it's problematic. You have to take particle size into account. So LDLs could be made up of type A or type B particles. Type A are what I call like these light and fluffy particles. They're just, I think of them as happy. <laughs> and those aren't, those aren't such a big deal, but it's the type B particles and I call those more like BBs, you know, like from a BB gun, like hard and dense little particles that can lodge into your arterial wall. Um, and those are the ones that are really problematic, but most standard cholesterol panels do not test for particle size. So you have to specifically ask for that. Um, Carly, what are some other lab tests we can look at to get a more comprehensive view of our inflammatory factor and our risk of heart disease? So you're absolutely right. Cholesterol testing is more of a relative risk equation than a cut and dry concrete. You're, you're at risk. You're not at risk. Like you're, it's not completely one way or the other. So getting a comprehensive lipid panel with particle size testing is, I think, step number one, like you just said. Um, there's also a few other lab tests that aren't even necessarily cholesterol that are really important to see how your body's responding to inflammation. So leptin insulin, triglycerides, and then those inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein, we want that to be less than one, homocysteine levels, and then your triglyceride to HDL ratio tells you your risk of heart disease. You want it to be somewhere between 0.5 and 1.9. That's your optimal range. That to me is way, way more important than the total cholesterol, HDL, and LDL levels. You don't want to look at it as one thing in isolation. You need to look at it as a whole picture and say, what are my, you know, what are my cardiometabolic numbers? So what are my triglycerides, HDL, LDL, and total? What are all my ratios? And then compare that with inflammatory markers. That will give you the best idea of how your body is going to do in this area. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, the last cholesterol test I had, and it's, it's actually been several years, probably would not be a bad idea if I did another one, but I think my cholesterol was around 245. And I mean, that probably sounds shocking <laughs> to some of the listeners out there because industry standard is about is 200 or below. Um, but for me, 
Um, that number didn't worry me a bit. My other markers were good. Some of the ones Carly talked about. Um, I'm in good overall health and there is no way and you know what, that I would take a statin to artificially lower my cholesterol number so that I can meet some, you know, acceptable number that was influenced by pharmaceutical companies who want to sell lots of statins. Can you tell I'm like, get all fired up. I like, <laughs> get like smoke coming out of my ears. This makes me so mad. Um, so let me tell you how I really feel, right? Um, so, you know, what's interesting is that the standard number used to be 250 and the threshold just keeps getting lower and lower. And I'm more worried about people not having enough cholesterol to support their brain health and all of these body systems that we talked about um, in the beginning of this conversation. I mean, and taking a statin significantly increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease. And it's one reason that when my husband was put, you know, put on a statin in his thirties. And once I got more into nutrition and research, I was like, no way, Jose. Uh, uh. So, um, you know, it could be, that could be a real problem. So Carly, will you weigh in a little bit on statins? Absolutely. So with statins, the key is that solid risk benefit analysis, analysis, which I feel like most people in conventional medicine, it's like a foreign thing to them. They're like, I don't know. I just saw the cholesterol. So I think you should be on a statin. So you got to do risk benefit. That's so, so important. So because with, for people with severe FH or severely high cholesterol, because let's say they have really poor lifestyle and dietary habits, statins might be necessary short term just because of the high, high risk of cardiac events. So you might need them just to reduce risk for a few months. But I definitely don't think somebody that's in their 30s should be put on a statin and been like, see ya, see ya in, you know, 50 years. No, see ya, um, I won't even remember who you are when I'm 55 years old because I've been on statin for, tw- I mean, seriously, right? I mean, I'm, you know, gosh, sorry. I know, Go ahead. I know, rant <laughs> alert. We're going to keep breaking out into rants. Right. keep happening. So while you're figuring out less risky therapies or implementing lifestyle changes to put out the fire, they could be indicated. So it's not like statins are always the worst thing ever. So you really need to talk with your doctor and nurse practitioner about it to see what's right for you. And so I'm actually going through the Institute for Functional Medicine uh, certification program. And so I really recommend IFM trained practitioners because, I mean, some of them will use statins, but they will at least be reasonable with you and talk talk through it, um, mm-hmm. which is always helpful. You always yes. want somebody that will partner with you and not just tell you what to do. So we will put a link in the show notes to a website locator that'll show you all the IFM trained practitioners in your area. There's other practitioners as well, but I'm most comfortable with IFM practitioners. So let's get into the way statins actually work and why they could be so harmful. So the way they work is by inhibiting the body's production of cholesterol. So mostly that occurs as you sleep. So you'll hear people saying that you have to take a statin before you go to sleep. This does come with a caveat though. Like, you know, if you're inhibiting your body's production of cholesterol, it also reduces your body's supply of coenzyme Q10. It's a really, really important enzyme for muscle function. And so if you think about it, you're like, oh, well, my heart's kind of a muscle too. <laughs> and aren't we trying to help that? So you need to definitely supplement with CoQ10 if you're going to have to take a statin. So with that said, long-term use of statins without simultaneous use of CoQ10 can actually damage your muscles, leading to heart failure and serious side effects like rhabdomyolysis, which actually some people will get if they're like extreme CrossFitters and they have a really, really intense workout. Statins could induce that without 
any of that overtraining type of stuff. So some researchers have even linked statins with dementia because of the inhibition of this enzyme. There are also studies suggesting it decreases dementia risks. It's kind of hard to say at this point because, you know, some studies, as we know at this point, are funded by pharmaceutical companies. There's vested interest both both ways. Sometimes university mm-hmm. people are being paid off by pharma- pharmaceutical companies. So it's hard to say one way or the other, but for me personally, I would not be comfortable with it unless I saw that there was a super high risk of cardiovascular events in the imminent future. So let's see what else. So statin side effects also include liver impairment, which is terrible considering how much <laughs> our livers already have to deal with. Our poor livers are just like crying oh all the gosh. time because we have we give them so much to, to manage. We don't need to give them one more thing. Um, they deplete other nutrients as well. All the nutrients that are super, super important, especially for the immune system, like vitamin D, uh, calcium, tocopherols and tocotrienols, uh, vitamin K2, vitamin A, heme A, which is a type of iron, uh, selenium, carnitine, copper, and zinc. And they can also lower levels of hormones such as testosterone and progesterone. So this is already starting to sound like not the best idea. (laughs) So let me just give it to you straight about the statins. If you think about it, these inflammatory negative effects are occurring because the high LDL levels are desperately trying to repair inflammation. And if that LDL goes away, the damage will just keep on going completely unchecked. So my goal always is to fix the root of inflammation instead of just band-aiding that symptom, quote unquote, of high LDL. Right. Yes. That's like firing your fireman, like not letting the yeah, fireman come to help you. We're just going to let the fire go you. just so it looks better. Which yeah. Is, you know. we're, just gonna tur- we're gonna turn our back on the fire. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Turn the back on the fire. That's perfect. So here's the final thing. If you need to take statins, just watch out for the signs and symptoms of those nutrient deficiencies, like fatigue and weight gain and muscle pain. And you need to make sure you're also taking a CoQ10 supplement. Um, statin therapy depletes CoQ10 by over 40%, which is super important for a vital antioxidant. We need to make sure we still have that, especially if we don't have cholesterol to mitigate inflammation. Yeah, that's scary. I think doctors are getting better about prescribing that um, CoQ10 along with the statin. Um, So I guess that's a step in the right direction. But if your doctor has not done that, please inquire about a CoQ10 supplement. Oh, and one last thing I want to add. There's a big movement to use red yeast rice, which is an herbal supplement that basically is a statin. And the same thing applies for that as well. So maybe if your cholesterol is not quite as high, your doctor might try to have you on red yeast rice instead of a statin if they're a little bit more naturally minded. But you still need to make sure you're taking CoQ10 because the me- the mechanism of action is almost the same. Right. I remember I remember when I was going through this with my husband and um, it was actually during the time I was going through um, Nutritional Therapy Association. Um, and I asked an instructor, I'm like, well, could I give you know, could we give my husband this red yeast rice? She's like, well, you could, but you're essentially doing the same thing. You're trying to, you're covering up, you're band-aiding the symptoms, right? You're not, um, you're not getting at the root cause. So that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. And it's great to be, you know, to look for, um, you know, more natural avenues, but not, not when it's still serving as a band-aid. We got to cut to the chase here and get to the root problem. Yeah, it's a more natural Band-Aid, but it's still a Band-Aid. Right, exactly. All Band-Aids come with risks. You can't just (laughs) turn your back on the fire and be like, 
whatever, washing my hands of that problem. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So I feel like we've talked about a lot, but, um, so I guess we can wrap up here, but as we do, um, give us a few things we can do, like tell us how we can optimize our cholesterol levels. So at this point, you've learned that the root cause of so many of these cardiovascular health concerns is actually inflammation. So this is good and bad news. So the good news is these risks are not solely based on your genetics. So you can absolutely do something to reduce them. But the bad news is there's about a bajillion things that could <laughs> cause inflammation, <laughs> unfortunately. So here are a few things just to start looking into that could be causing inflammation in your body. So food sensitivities, low hormone levels, like things low estrogen, low progesterone, uh, chronic infections, so even things like sinusitis or gingivitis could be contributing to inflammation. Um, your macronutrient balance is not synergistic with your body. So we all know at this point that some people do better with a little bit more carbohydrate. Some people do well with way less carbohydrate and almost ketogenic most of the time. So you need to make sure your macro balance is working well for your body. So if you see that your um, cholesterol levels are off, it could be either that you need to eat more carbs or a little bit less. Um, gut inflammation, things like candida overgrowth, um, and chronic stress. And so on the note of the gut inflammation type of stuff, I know Chelsea's going through restorative wellness solutions right now to be able to order those awesome um, GI health panels. So mm -hmm. that's super, super that's exciting. huge. I know it is exciting. Those, those are really helpful. And let me, but can I just interject real quick yeah, that you mentioned, um, when we're talking about our carbohydrates, you know, finding that, that kind of sweet spot, sweet spot of carbohydrates for, um, you know, a person, we are talking about real food carbohydrates. So <laughs> just so you know, people, that doesn't no, mean no get out. Yeah. We're not, that doesn't mean get your, um, get your chips out. And um, I, I think we forgot because of our nutrition background, we're like, Oh, just eat more carbohydrates. <laughs> yeah. It's obvious we're talking about sweet potatoes and such. No, but um, yeah, that's not a green light to eat, you know, junky food. That's, totally that's kind not. of the, that is the big key, right? Is to cut processed food is, um, is a stress on the body. It does create inflammation. So, right. Just cleaning up your foods in general, getting back to more um, of real foods. And then there's a few other things I want to mention. There's some supplements you could use. So taking a vitamin K2 and D3 supplement. First of all, the D3 component, vitamin D3, is super important for modulating the immune system. And we want that help, especially if we want to make sure that any plaque we do have in our arteries doesn't start getting oxidized and destabilized, and then your body starts to attack it. So that D3 can help modulate the immune system, kind of keep it in check, basically. And then the vitamin K2 would keep the arteries flexible and healthy and prevents that hardening, stiffening, you know, grossening part that's associated <laughs> with atherosclerosis. I don't know if you've ever seen... Um, a picture of an artery that has atherosclerosis, but it is not cute. So mm. we want to avoid as much as possible. Um, but taking those two together, they're synergistic with one another. So their absorption helps the other one absorb as well. Also, those are super important for calcium, right? Yes. Calcium assimilation. We should, I won't even like open up that big can of worms, but we'll just come back another day and talk about calcium. But vitamin... calcium is important and those two help keep it in check. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. And then eat wild-caught fish. That's my preferred source of omega-3s. Yes. There's been a little bit of controversy about omega-3s mm -hmm. lately that Chelsea and I have discussed a lot. So eat wild-caught fish or just take an omega-3 supplement, a small amount to balance out your inflammatory process. I wouldn't try to superdose it. 
um, I would just take a maintenance dose and see how you do. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll link to Chelsea's favorite Cod the Royal in the show notes as well. You can also get um, a liquid version. If your kids are young enough, you could get away with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I probably would not be able to handle it. Um, And then eating real food. Like Chelsea likes to say, this would take care of most of your issues if you just eat real food. So limit those simple carbs, including fruit, because the fruit we have at this point is so – it's essentially bread to be sweeter than the fruit we had. So if you think about it, it's it's basically they're like, what's the sweetest grapes? And we'll breed them with the sweetest grapes. And we basically just make it a, sh- a complete sugar bomb. Totally. Um, so just keep that fruit in check with that in mind. Um, and then also just regular sugar, of course. Um, eat vegetables. And then I wouldn't stress too much about the types of fats you're eating. Just avoid trans fats like margarine and shortening. If you want to kind of tweak your fat ratios, if you maybe feel a little bit better with more monounsaturated or saturated, um, you can tweak those a little bit. Um, Intermittent fasting, which we talk about all the time, can help reset your insulin and leptin levels. And then exercise. I know. You're like, duh. (laughs) I know it's really simple, but it helps reduce your stress, blood pressure, gives your heart a little bit of a workout to make it more efficient. Your heart does need a little bit of, little bit of workout to keep it awake. And then sleep. If I could say this 5,000 times, I would say it. Sleep, sleep, sleep. If it were a drug, it would be the number one best selling (laughs) drug ever. Um, It is literally the best thing you could do for your body. And it actually improves what we would call willpower. It makes other lifestyle changes easier. And it's completely free. I know there's opportunity cost there. You're probably like, well, I could be doing one million other things, but I promise the rest of your life will benefit if you consistently make that effort to get seven seven hours of sleep at a minimum. Yeah, seven is actually my magic number. I feel like everybody has kind of their magic number um, and seven is mine. And if I can get seven hours of sleep, then I am good to go. Do you have a magic number? Mine's, I would say seven and a half. Yeah. Because if, if you sleep too much, I think it depends on the person. You have to kind of ex- experiment. If you sleep too much, um, you can kind of get past that initial like energized state and then you wake up all groggy and sad. So that's not, that's not what I mean. Don't sleep all day long, but get enough <laughs> sleep for your, it just helps your body and your brain get rid of all that waste and stuff that you go through throughout the day. So yeah. good for you. Totally. I kind of feel the same, you know, people are like, oh, there's so many other things I could be doing than sleep. You know, sleep is um, one of those things that is expendable, but it's really not. And it's also kind of the same way with, um, with, you know, taking time to just get in the word and read the Bible and spend time with God. We want to put that on the back burner because it feels I don't want to say like a luxury, but just like time that we don't have, but really investing in that, investing in your sleep, um, we'll just do, um, we'll just pay in dividends, you know, for your health. So, I um, mean, it really just comes to the, back to the basics. So eat real food the way God made it, get lots of rest, move your body, get sunshine, laugh with your friends, get in the word to overcome some stress and worry in your life. I mean, just period the end, mic drop. That's all we need, right? Um, but I do want to remind people as we kind of wrap up here that do ask for that particle test um, if, you know, a, a more full lipid panel to distinguish whether or not you have those harmful LDLs. Um, that can, that's really helpful information to know when it's not a part of a standard test. Um, so you have to ask for that. 
Um, alrighty. Well, I think that we threw enough stuff on everybody's brain today. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. That was a lot. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much, Carly, for joining me, helping me break this down for the peeps. Um, and you guys, I know we threw a lot of kind of nerdy terms out today, you know, hormones and um, genes and all these kind of things. So if it would be helpful for you to like kind of look at it, read it, um, then you can go to the podcast show notes. And those are found at thechristiannutritionist.com in the podcast section. And also, if you would do me a huge favor and leave a review on iTunes or share this podcast with a friend or family member, I know so many people have questions about cholesterol. Maybe it would be helpful. Um, But I always appreciate if you leave a review or share it because a lot of you know that one of the big prayers I always pray is the prayer of Jabez. It's found in 1 Chronicles. And um, it's just asking for God to increase my territory, help me reach more people so that I can spread this message of health and real food the way God made it. So thanks for having, helping me do that, y'all. Thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Um, We'll see you next time and have a healthy and blessed week. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.